following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. time in the Word this morning. Um, so, uh, yeah, there he is. There he is. Um, <laughs> if you look closely, the license plate says explore. Uh, so we're starting a new series, uh, a four-part series this morning called Driven, Intentional Living in an Aimless World. Um, and at the end of the year, right, it's a good time as we prepare to step into a new year. It's a great time to examine our lives and to think about where have we come from and where we're going and to think a little more circumspectly about what's important and to look at trajectories in our life and to recalibrate as necessary, right, where there's, there's bad directions that aren't leading to life and blessing or... Um, and, and not just looking, and in this series, we're going to encourage us not just to look at our present condition, but to look at trajectory, right? You can set a little angle here, adjustment, that in five years is going to be a significant change, right? Sometimes we, we set big goals and we're going to change it all overnight. We're going to be looking at setting small changes, taking small steps that set trajectories to lead to transformation over a lifetime or even over multiple generations. We're gonna, in this series, we're going to be looking at building healthy rhythms in our lives that pay dividends and bear fruit in the years to come and creating and nurturing good habits and putting to death those desires that will lead to hurt in ourselves and others. Now, if you're like me, most of us struggle with the idea of resolutions, right? New Year's resolutions and making changes. And, and it's easy to get discouraged. And you, get, you have set these high expectations on yourself. you got all these big plans. You get the gym membership, right? And, and then you, you kind of give up because you don't meet your expectations. Um, and we want this kind of like instant demand, have it your way culture. We want fruit in our life right away. Like, we want to just be able to pick the fruit. There it is. I get to enjoy it without realizing that God gives us seeds first. And you have to do the hard work of cultivating the soil, not eating the seed, but planting the seed, right? Protecting it, watering it, pruning the, the dead branches and the, uh, the, the growth at the right time to help it to, to grow in a healthy way, and then waiting, Right? Fruit bearing is a whole lot of waiting for God to bring the growth. So in this series, it's going to be intensely practical. We're going to be in the wisdom literature. We're going to get practical. We're going to talk about things like friendship and family and money and making resolutions that we actually keep, self-discipline, planning for the future, leaving a legacy that lasts. And we're going to talk about all these things while studying one of the strangest and quirkiest books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, okay? We're not going to go through the whole book. That would be a whole other journey down the rabbit hole. Um, but rather, we're just going to take four weeks, and we're going to draw out different themes and life lessons from Ecclesiastes on how to live intentionally in an aimless world, okay? So that's where we're going. And my job this morning is to give kind of the overview so to give an overview of the book of Ecclesiastes, why it's helpful and significant, and basically just four principles of intentional living, okay? And, and then we're going to dig in the rest of the series. We're going we're to do a week next week on personal change. We're going to do a week on stewardship, and our, our resources, our finances, and finally a, a, a week on community and relationships and stewarding our relationships well. So that's where we're going. A lot of you asked in our family meeting, where are we going as a church? Okay, well, here's the roadmap for the next month, okay? And it's going to set trajectories for, by God's grace, years to come. So we're going to start in Ecclesiastes. Who's, who's read Ecclesiastes? 
probably, probably most of us, if you're familiar with the Bible, you've read it. Who's understood Ecclesiastes? <laughs> okay. It's a little harder, right? So, background information. It's wisdom literature, right? It's not prophetic. It's not discourse. It's not poetry or, or narrative. It's wisdom, right? So, so it's, it's teaching us about how life tends to work and how to align our lives to how God has made the world, okay? And it's, it's really practical. So in the wisdom literature, you have Proverbs, which is right, a book about skills for living. It's a mom and dad sharing with their son wisdom from life. Son, here's how to live wisely and how to walk with God. Right? Here's how to experience blessing in this life and the life to come. That's Proverbs. You have Job, which is a, a book that deals with the problem of evil and suffering, and it looks at how God doesn't fit into our, our perfect little boxes. It deals with the questions of life and death and doubt and fear. That's Job. Then you have Song of Solomon, right, which is a love poem about the passion and joy of marital intimacy. It's a practical book about love and romance. And then finally, we have Ecclesiastes, which doesn't quite fit anywhere, right? It stands out as unique. It takes an honest, in-your-face, sometimes brutal look at everyday life under the sun. And it's life viewed not with the eyes of faith that look beyond the sun, but just normal, everyday life looking at the frustration of the day in and the day out, right? It's a great book for Portlanders. It's kind of dark. It's kind of depressing, right? And it asks these really deep questions, and it bemoans the meaninglessness of life. You could just imagine Solomon like on a really rainy, drizzly day in the middle of winter, sitting at a coffee shop, drinking his coffee, weeping as he's writing, right? It, that's just kind of the vibe of this book. I'm, I'm going to read one passage to kind of give you that flavor. This is Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 14. This is Solomon saying, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Okay, so he's looking around. Okay, I applied my heart to learn. Here's what he found. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. It sucks, right? That's what he says. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. It's a Hebrew word, hevel. You can translate it, basically. That's just, that's just, it's it's in in the lexicon somewhere. Like, it's just, it just, it's it's meaningless. It's a a spitting into the wind is how the, the message translation calls it. Life is a spitting into the wind. It comes right back at you and doesn't do any good, right? So, that's Ecclesiastes. And to understand it, right, you gotta take a step back. That's the context, that's the genre you got to look at the author and understand this guy, Solomon. He lived a crazy life. We read about it in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, okay? So this guy, Solomon, he asked God for wisdom. You remember that? He asked God for wisdom. He's like, well, because you asked for wisdom and didn't ask for fame and fortune and these other things, I'm going to give you it all. I'll give you wisdom and I'll give you all these other blessings. And so he's, he's, this, he's like the wisest man alive. And, and it says that he spoke 3,000 proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. And he lived in a, he had a peaceful kingdom, right? Uh, he, there was peace and wealth in Jerusalem as he reigned. And he was famous and honored. Rulers came from all around the world to see him and his glory. He was probably the richest man in the world, right? His whole palace is made out of gold. It says in one year he received 25 tons of gold, I calculated that. That's about 40 cubic feet of gold. He built a temple that was one of the seven wonders of the world. Now, I don't know why his palace didn't make it into the seven wonders of the world, because if you read about it, you find out that he builds God's house, and then he's like, eh, but my house has to be really great. And so his house is bigger and fancier, and he takes longer on his own house um, than the temple. So that's kind of his, his pursuits of wealth and wisdom and knowledge and science and understanding. And then 
And then, lest he was bored, he, he, he thought he needed 700 wives um, to kind of satisfy that part of his life. Um, and that wasn't enough, so he, then he got 300 concubines uh, from all the nations of the world. And he built a house for each one of his wives. Um, and we learn about how he worshipped the Lord early on in his life. And then it says that the foreign wives led his heart astray. And eventually he, he built a, uh, an altar to the Moabite god Chemosh on Mount Olives. And he, he led God's people in idolatry. So kind of in summary, this guy King Solomon, who's writing this book, he's kind of the Bill Gates, the Hugh Hefner, and the Albert Einstein of his day all put together, right? Right? Only he puts them all to shame, right? And how he pursued wealth, how he pursued pleasure, and how he pursued knowledge. He just went all out. So if that's his life, what's his book? He's, he's writing this book, Ecclesiastes. So it's a book that records his search for what satisfies in life. It's a story of a man with unlimited resources pursuing his pleasure and happiness with all his passion. It's probably the record of the greatest and most extensive philosophy experiment ever performed. He uses his five senses and all his mind and intellect to discover what truly brings lasting happiness and meaning in life. And he spends his life pursuing that. And he says this, basically, I tried it all. Money, sex, power, wisdom, foolishness, morality, leisure, work, relationships, religion, whatever. I tried it all. I gave it my best. And he says, let me save you the effort. None of it satisfied. I never had enough, and I had everything. That's the primary lesson from Ecclesiastes. He's, so many times we think, if I just had a little more, right? You're taking down the path of, of wealth and success. If I just have a little bit more in that path, I'll find that satisfaction and meaning, right? I'm going down family and, or morality or religion or or pleasure and, and partying and clubbing, right? You, just, you take your path. If I just have a little bit more, I'll be happy because it's not enough yet. He says, I went to the end of every one of these roads that people pursue in life to find meaning, and they're all dead ends. Let me save you the effort. That's the value of this book. And what I think it is, I think it's a book of repentance. I think Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes near the end of his life. And he's looking back on it, on his life in his old age, and, he's, and he's, he's saying, God, really, at the end, you're the only one that brings meaning. And he wants to help God's people not waste their lives like he did. And he's telling us that there's no lasting purpose or meaning found in this world under the sun. And he's inviting us to live intentionally in light of eternity, but while still keeping our feet firmly planted on the ground. Okay, it's not a, a book up in the, the heavens and the clouds and it's, it's theology and, and, and all the language of faith. It's not Paul, right? It's not this, this very big, heavenly, forward-looking language. It's, it's recollection. It's, it's him looking back, reflecting on living his life, and it's saying we need to set our eyes on eternity but it's practical and down to earth, and let's keep our feet planted in this world and live wisely today. So that's the book. Hopefully more of you can raise your hand now when, when asked, do you understand what Ecclesiastes is? So four principles that we're going to look at. And I want you to, um, I don't have the text on the screen, so I want you to actually follow in your Bible. And there should be some few Bibles in front of you if you don't um, if you don't have one with you. First one, our first principle for intentional living. Begin with the end in mind. And we see this, Ecclesiastes 12. This is how he ends the book, okay? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. I'm reading out of the, the ESV. He says this, 
The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We've got to begin with the end in mind. To live intentionally, we need to know that know what our destination is so that we can set our course now, right, to prepare for that destination. Solomon is calling us to shape our lives and plan, make plans in light of eternity, in light of a final judgment, a day when we are going to meet our maker. Right? One day, everything will be laid bare. Romans 14 says that every knee will bow before Jesus. And that's where everything is heading. That's what matters. That's what will remain. We're going to stand before Almighty God and give an account for how we used the resources and blessings that he gave us. And so the question for us is, how does that affect our lives today? Right? And in light of this judgment. Now, there's some language here. Right? It says, fear God and keep his commandments. He will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Some of you might be thinking, right? So is fear of judgment really supposed to be in the back of my mind in all my decision-making? Is that the central ethic that the Bible teaches? Be afraid of God's judgment and prepare for a day of judgment, right? If that bothers you a little bit, that's good. You're right, because that's not how Christians live. Listen to this amazing verse from Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. It says this. It's just a prayer. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Does that seem like a strange juxtaposition to you? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You hear that? You hear that? The God of the Bible is more awe-inspiring than we can imagine. Because if he marked iniquity, we can't stand. There is no hope for any of us, no matter how good you are at keeping your nose clean, at following the rules, or being successful in life. We cannot somehow, by our own works, make ourselves better and earn his love. But the God of the Bible is also more welcoming and comforting than we could ever imagine. Because it says there, but with you there is forgiveness for anything and everything. So our fear of God does not come from a place of insecurity or dread of some future judgment or some angry God looking down on us. No. Right? Our fear of God is about a humble awe and amazement at the way that Jesus freely loves and accepts us and f- fulfills the law for us, that righteous and perfect law. That's the gospel. That's the good news. I hope you know it well. Now, others may respond, or maybe you live this way. Maybe you've heard that good news and you walked an aisle uh, in church. And then you've kind of cruised through life, and you kind of thought you had your fire insurance, and you kind of still just live for yourself. Can we just ignore verses about future judgment, right? Thinking it applies to other people, right? Well, we get like that in church sometimes, right? We read verses about every secret thing, whether good or evil, God will bring into judgment. And you have the list of those secret evil things that other people do that he will judge, Right? That's not, that's also not right how we respond to these verses. We don't ignore them. They're not used for pointing fingers. Instead, the Christian knows that in Christ, we will not be judged in that last day, but our work will be. It's an important distinction. We will not come under judgment but the work of our hands and how we lived our life and what we've done will. I want you to see this. This is, a, this is really important. So you can turn there, maybe put your little ribbon or your finger in, in Ecclesiastes 
and turn to 1 Corinthians in the, in the New Testament. Right. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. This is Paul the Apostle talking. He says this. And we'll start, we'll start in verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious wo stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Your translation will probably have a big D day, right? That's the day of judgment. The day will disclose what work we did laying on the foundation, what you've built up on the foundation of Jesus. Because it will, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You hear what it's saying? If you're in Christ this morning, you have no fear of judgment. No fear of judgment. And on that day, you will not be judged. You'll be welcomed in to the joy of your master. But each of us make decisions every day what we're going to invest our lives into, what we're going to build, what we're going to do. And if you're investing in your own name, building your own work, your own kingdom, that's hay and stubble. And there will be a fire, and it will be burned away. And you'll look and you say, I got nothing to show. And you'll enter the kingdom, but it says that that work will be burned up. And others who build right, with the precious stones who build in Christ's kingdom for his name, for his kingdom, that's what's going to remain. There's going to be a reward. There's going to be the name of Jesus that gets reverberated for eternity. And when we build into that name and build that kingdom, right, there's blessing, there's life, because we didn't live for ourselves. We live to see his blessing, his shalom go to the nations. And that remains. And so this question about beginning with the end in mind, what are we building our lives on? What are, what are we doing with our lives? Are we building on the work and foundation of Jesus, or are we just wasting it? That's the first principle. Begin with the end in mind. The second one, be led and anchored by God's wisdom. Okay? Be led and anchored by God's wisdom. This is, go back to Ecclesiastes. Reading a, a couple places. Ecclesiastes 12, 11 and 12. So these are the, these, these last four verses of Ecclesiastes are kind of like his, right, the end of the story. Here's my reflection of, on it all. So here's the second piece of it. Verse 11 of chapter 12. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. As a seminary student right now, I can testify to that last verse. Um, the principle is here, here is be led and anchored by God's wisdom, by God's word. Right? It's not enough to know the destination. You have to know how to get there. And then turn uh, to a little forward, might be on the, the facing page, chapter 10, verse 15. I love this. Ecclesiastes 10, 15. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. <laughs> right? Here's the guy that refuses to ask for directions. Okay? He, he's committed to finding the city. He's, he's moving around. He's doing a lot. He's, he's, he's going somewhere. He's just going to the wrong place. He knows the destination, the city, right? I, I know I need to get there, 
hasn't asked for directions. And so he's going back and forth, going in circles, confused. We need God's word to show us what are those roads that lead to life and blessing? What are those dead ends that I'm just going to waste my life on or waste my time on? Right? We, we need a map to find our way to the city. So in this, in this text, in, in Ecclesiastes 12, God's word is described in two ways. First, it is a goad. You know what a goad is? It's something that drives us forward. Right? God's word is it's not just suggestions for living. It's not just theological constructs for debate. It's the staff of a shepherd. It leads and guides us to safety, right? There's that hook. It guides us, and it provokes and prods us when we're going astray or when we're just like stubbornly standing still. God's word pushes us. Are you allowing God's word to prod you? Do you have a plan for 2019 to be shaped and led and goaded on by God's word? Second, it says the scriptures are like nails firmly fixed. Right? It's a picture of that they anchor us to ultimate reality. Life under the sun is full of confusion and frustration. Everything changes. Nothing stays the same. You read all about it in Ecclesiastes. God's word remains the same, and it's an, it anchors us to a foundation. Are you anchored to that foundation? Do you know God's word? Does it shape you? Does it anchor you? Is it a ballast for you? Or are you tossed back and forth with every wind of doctrine? Are you set off by every little post of bad news or report that you hear? Are you anchored? So here's an application for us as a church. Uh, the elders were, and pastors were meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about, about the vision and direction. And we, and we agreed with one another that we wanted to be shaped by God's word in 2019, and we wanted to be studying God's word together. And so we want to invite you all into something that we're doing uh, as a church leadership team, and it's reading through the Bible in a year. And it's doing it in a specific way that helps us to understand the big picture and the overarching narrative of the scriptures and gets us on the same page so we're meditating and thinking about the same things. And so we're going to read the Bible in a year, and we're going to use a Bible reading plan that was put together uh, in kind of um, cooperation of the Bible Project, which are the local uh, Tim Mackey and, um, and John here locally in Portland, and then also Francis Chan's ministry in, in California. They made an app. It's called Read, Read Scripture and a plan. And basically, it, it takes you through the Bible in a year, but it intersperses the Bible Project animation videos throughout it and to help tie together the theme. So we're actually going to watch about a two-minute video that they put together that describes it. So shoot up the video. book. But we believe that the entire thing is telling one unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so we want to help you learn how to read the Bible as you actually read through the entire thing for yourself. So the Read Scripture experience is, first of all, a reading plan that has broken up the story of the Bible into 16 chapters. Now, we've rearranged the order of some of the books to help you see how this overall story works and how each book contributes to it. So we begin with creation of the world and the fall of humanity, which which leads to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family, the people of Israel. Then you come to God's rescue of Israel in the exodus from Egypt, which is followed by the covenant God makes with them at Mount Sinai. From there, God leads Israel through the wilderness and then into the promised land, where Israel grows into a nation and breaks the covenant. And so this flows into the rise and the fall of Israel's kingdom, which ends with Israel being exiled from the land. Now, the story pauses right here, and you'll read through the poetry of the prophets who lived before Israel's exile, and also of the wisdom writings that reflect on this part of the story as well. 
After this, the story will pick up again, and you'll read the writings of the prophets who lived during the exile, then about the return of Israel from exile and the writings of the prophets who lived after the exile. You'll conclude the Old Testament with the book of Chronicles. It's a summary of the story so far and how it all points forward to Jesus. And finally, we come to Jesus himself and his announcement of the kingdom of God, which is then followed by the letters of the apostles to the people of Jesus' kingdom. Finally, we'll conclude the entire biblical story with the revelation, a poetic vision of Jesus' return and the healing of all creation. Now, each of these 16 chapters has a number of reading sessions it will take to complete it. Some of these are shorter, others are longer. And if you take just 15 to 20 minutes a day to complete each session, you'll be able to read through the entire Bible in less than a year. Now, even with this map, many books of the Bible are really confusing. It's very easy to get lost. And so when you start each new book of the Bible, you'll be able to watch a short video that lays out that book's structure and flow of thought, and it'll give you tips about what kinds of things to look for as you read. But also, every book contributes to the overall story of the Bible as well. And so we'll have theme videos placed at strategic points in the reading plan to help you see how the part of the Bible you're reading at the moment fits into that larger story. Finally, each day's reading session includes a psalm, because we believe that reading the Bible is not just an intellectual experience, but also spiritual. And so we invite you to take the year to develop the daily habit of praying through the psalms. And by the end of the year, you'll have prayed through the whole book of psalms two and a half times. Our hope is that the Read Scripture experience will help you read through the entire Bible with greater understanding than you ever have before, so you can see for yourself the beauty and the wisdom of this ancient story that points us to Jesus. So there you go. So we have uh, paper versions of the reading plan in the back if you prefer right? Sticking something, folding up in your, in your Bible and reading with good old-fashioned paper. Um, you're welcome to do that. And then the videos you can access on the Bible Project website. There's a Read Scripture website. They're all on YouTube. They're not hard to find. Um, or you can download the app on your smartphone. It's called Read Scripture. Um, the, they use the ESV version in the app. Uh, again, if you want to use a different version, just use your hard copy Bible and then kind of follow along. Um, but we're going to be, both as a leadership team going through this, and then we're going to bring it back uh, kind of to your attention on sometimes a weekly, sometimes a monthly basis of just reminding us, hey, we're doing this as a church. And we'd encourage even the, the, the Tuesday morning study, the community groups to talk about it, to use this as a time to learn the full narrative of the scriptures together and let it shape us, right? Let it be that, that map to the city so that we're not driving around aimlessly. So if you have questions about that, talk to the, one of the leaders, and uh, we'll be eager to, to start that journey with you. And if you've done reading plans before, some, sometimes some, some of you older saints have been, have been doing this for decades, uh, and we look up to you. And others, right, I mean, feel frustrated and have tried plans and failed, and, and it's, it's like your gym membership. That's okay. It's, very few of us will, will get it done perfectly, but we're committed to, to just doing it step by step, right? Um, so I invite you to that journey. Okay, point three, the third principle from Ecclesiastes, learn to invest in the future. It's from Ecclesiastes. Um, read a, a couple places again. Uh, chapter seven, verse eight. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. There's something to be said for sticking to it to the end. There's something to be said for a forward-looking mindset that, that doesn't just, oh, look at what's right in front of me, but looks out to the future that grows in humility and patience over time. And then uh, turn the page to chapter 11. Um, verses 1 through 6. It says this. It says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. 
as you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So this is an ancient proverb, right? This idea of, of uh, casting your bread upon the waters. It, it, it's a, a picture of investing our resources for future returns. And this image about the, uh, looking at the weather and the idea that, hey, what is a, a, a tree? Wherever a tree falls, there it will lie. It's kind of like a Winnie the Pooh statement. Um, but it's like, it's the, the idea that there are things outside of our control, right? We don't know what God is doing. And we need to think wisely and invest in the future, preparing for whatever outcome come, will come. That's even the idea of the uh, give a portion to seven or even to eight. That's the idea of diversification. You don't know what will work and what won't. And so invest broadly, so broadly, and, and have a forward-looking mindset in life. And so this is the idea of learning to invest, and that's an essential aspect of intentional living. We could call this the principle of sowing and reaping. And the principle applies to relationships, to health, to time, to education, to work, to recreation, to everything under the sun, to have an investment mindset, to have a sowing and reaping mindset. And so sowing, right, not needle-pulling thread, right? Sowing. In planting, planting is an act of faith. You're taking something, right, that seed that could be consumed today. You could eat your seed. Instead, you're preparing soil, you're planting it, you're watering it, you're waiting for a harvest. It's far easier to eat the seed, but intentional living is a life of sowing, a life of investment. And what you find is that the exponential returns of a planted seed are so much beyond what we actually put in the ground, right? What comes from it? So, I'm going to give seven principles and characteristics of a wise investor. Okay, this is, this is relevant in every sphere in life. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it, right? This is, this is Proverbs kind of wisdom literature stuff. So we, we, these are practical things that you can observe in life and the world, and we can uh, apply them, okay? So this is actually wisdom and principles from the world of, of finance and, and uh, stock investing, and it applies to so many things. These are the characteristics of a wise investor. First, you have to have an accurate assessment of value, right? You're going to invest your time, your money, your resources, your whatever it is you're investing, you have to have an accurate assessment of value. Is this worth my investment? Should I be spending my time doing this? Right? And, if, and we go back to the principle of God's word, right? His word is that, that nail firmly fixed. That's, that's the anchor. So his word informs what has value. But if you don't know the value of your investment, it's, it's called sp- speculation. It's called gambling. It's playing the lotto. Okay? You need to know the value of what you're investing and that you are paying less than it's worth. Otherwise, you're getting a bad deal. We learn in God's word the wisdom of, of making wise investments that pay dividends over generations. Second is to exercise contrarian thinking. and not So, in essence, investing that's wise is always the opposite direction of where everyone else is going. Right? If you've, you've watched the stock market and you know what's happening right now and what, what's happening in years coming up to it, it's, it's, it's a, a back-and-forth pendulum between greed, oh, yeah, 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 going to make more money, everyone's making money, invest, invest, and, you, and, and you're greedy for more. You want, and again, this applies to every area in life. I want, everyone wants more. you got to have it now. Jump on the bandwagon. Get it now. And then, oh, everything's falling apart. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Sell, sell, run, hide, protect yourself. That's fear. 
They're governed by fear. That's the direction of the world. That's the aimless world that we live in. Fear and greed. That's the only radar that the world will give you. You want to invest wisely, you need to think differently than the majority of everyone else around you. Contrarian thinking. Third is understand risk and maintain sufficient diversification, right? Do you know the Bible teaches diversification? It's right here. Mathematically, Solomon has just about the exact right amount of diversification. You over-diversify, you, you mitigate your, your gains, and it just kind of plain vanilla, everything's the same. You under-diversify, your risk is too high. Mathematically, he's like, this is about the ideal diversification, right? We don't know what's going to happen. There are so many things outside of our control. And so we understand risks. Anytime you plant a seed instead of eating it, right? If, if you have a poverty mindset in life, you get something, you got to use it, right? You got to keep it. You don't know what you're going to get tomorrow, right? You live day to day, right? You got to get it. You got to have it. That's a poverty mindset, but it's a risk, right? You plant the seed, right? It, it might die. There might be disease. There might be some animal gets to it. Like the tree might grow and, and, and the winter is really cold and your fruit tree dies. It is a risk. Oh, okay, might as well just eat it, right? Don't risk losing it in your, in your investment. Just keep the money safe for the, the parable of the talents. Let's bury it. Let's bury all the resources that God gives us. No, anytime you invest, you take a risk. It takes courage, it takes faith, but God calls us to do that, right? You need to practice delayed gratification. Have you heard of the marshmallow experiment, right? The psychologists get the four-year-olds in the room, right? They give them a marshmallow, and, and they tell them, if you wait, whatever, 10 minutes, you'll get two marshmallows. And they just sit there in a room with a marshmallow, <laughs> Are they going to eat the marshmallow now or wait for two? How do we live? Do you eat the marshmallow? Or do you wait for the promised kingdom? Right? And, and, the, and then they, they trace the kids, right, 30 years later. You know how big the differences are of the trajectory that is set of the kid that <laughs> eat the marshmallow now? Versus the, the four-year-old that says, I can wait. I'd rather have two. Wouldn't you rather have two marshmallows? <laughs> I would. You've got to wait 10 minutes. Right? That's this mentality of investment. That's this mentality of living for the reward. It says it in, uh, in Hebrews uh, 11, right? Moses, right, he did not give in to the fleeting, the passing pleasures of Egypt, but he looked to a lasting city. We need to practice delayed gratification. Have a long time horizon, right? It's a long investment. Be patient through the ups and downs. Oh, it's not going how I thought it was. Marriage is a lot harder than they said it would be. <laughs> up and down, up and down, that's it. Pull the eject button or the string or the, whatever, right? It's harder than I thought. My investment is down. I'm in the red. My house is underwater. Sell, sell, get out, divorce. Church is hard. Someone said something bad about me. I'm leaving. Right? No. A, a view of, of investing, of, of looking to the reward, looking to the future is, I expect there to be ups and downs. Because the market's crazy, right? We live in an aimless world. Fear, greed, fear, greed, fear, greed. Okay. That's okay. But let them be schizophrenic. I, I have a ballast, right? I have, I'm firmly fixed. We don't follow the ups and downs. We're patient. And then finally, have the humility to admit when you were wrong. <laughs> Sometimes you make a bad investment, right? And, and you realize it. You get some more information that you didn't have before. And you're like, oh, that was stupid. <laughs> and, and, you, and you cut your losses. And you're like, okay, I got to be humble enough to learn. I'm humble enough to cut my losses and realize I was wrong. And then you make adjustments and you change. So, not cool? These are all, these are, this is, I could show you proverbs that match all of these. This is God's wisdom from God's word and this is also best practices if you want to 
make a lot of money on the stock market. Like, it's just, God's wisdom in this world uh, is awesome. Anyway, that, that was free for you guys. Um, And it applies to so many things in life, right? Marriage takes lots of small, little investments. Saving for retirement and seeing compound interest takes starting early, having foresight, right? All these things, planting these little seeds, little by little. And we all know that, right? This is not new information for most of us. But in our foolishness, we so often eat today what could be planted to invest for tomorrow. Or we just think about our own little investment and we don't think about the nations and our neighbors and our kids and our grandkids. We just think of consuming for ourselves. Or, right, we eat our investment, we, we consume, and then we, re- we complain when we don't have enough. And we blame, blame it on the government. We, we blame it on the Democrats. We blame it on the Republicans. We blame it on, on whatever, right? And, or, even worse, we don't have what we want right now, so we borrow, or we take, and then we spend our future, rather than enjoying the fruit of our past investment, we, fa- we spend our future paying for our past consumption and our past foolishness. So, that's this principle, right? Investing. This, the principle of sowing and reaping. Maybe that's discouraging to you. Maybe this is just profoundly discouraging, right? But here's the miracle of sowing. You don't have to start with a lot, right? One seed planted with patience and hard work leads to one tree. And one tree can plant an orchard. And one orchard can feed the nation. So let's stop thinking just about today. That's the application. Stop thinking just about today, just about next week, or even just about next year. Let's start thinking in terms of generations. In terms of generations. And if you're older, right, this morning, and you say, you know what, my, my time of like living, living intentionally is kind of past. And you're in that season of life where you're either eating good fruit or bad fruit that you planted years ago. I want to encourage you that in the gospel and in God's kingdom, it is never too late to plant. Because you know what? We're not just planting for ourselves, right? We're planting for the generations to come. So think about your grandkids. Think about your grandkids' grandkids. Think about this church and what it needs for generations to come. That's how we can begin planting and living intentionally. And finally, the last principle, and we'll close on this, from Ecclesiastes 10.10. It just says this. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength but wisdom helps one to succeed. This is the principle of seeking Sabbath and renewal. Now, I love this image, right? This is, a, this is the fool swinging his axe at the, at the tree, and his axe has gotten dull, and he's thinking, I need to swing harder. Harder, right? I'm just not swinging hard enough. He's doing the same thing, thinking he's going to get different results, He's wearing himself out. He's weared out his tools. He hasn't stopped to renew, to, to renew, to Sabbath, to sharpen his axe so that he can get back to work with greater effectiveness. And so many people complain that their life is not going anywhere, but they never do anything to change it. Right? So sharpening your axe is the process of stopping your work in your life to start working on your life, right? Stop being busy and stepping back to renew, stepping back to Sabbath so that you can live intentionally for eternity. And if you want to live intentionally, you have to take that time. 
You have to take that time to renew yourself and to renew the relationships that are in your life. Okay? And so we'll close on this. There's four relationships that we have. We see this in the, the book of Genesis that God set up in the beginning. And we have to renew all four of them. The first is our relationship to God. You need to renew that. So here we have Sabbath rest. We have this principle of a, of a weekly time set apart to worship God, to rest, to meditate on Him, to stop our laboring. And that's Sunday worship. That's time with family. That's, that's time to pray. That's time to, to get enough sleep that we need. That's daily meditation. That's this Bible reading plan that we're talking about, renewing every day. It might be taking a retreat uh, to pray. Second is the relationship to self. How is your relationship with yourself this morning? Right? Do you take care of yourself or do you abuse yourself? This is a, these are ideas of, of exercise, nutrition, recreation, getting enough sleep, and then learning and personal growth. Are you sharpening the axe? Are you getting sharper as the years go on? More effective at what God has called you to do? Or have you gotten dull and slow? We have to renew ourselves. And the, the third relationship is our relationship to work and stewardship. Right? God put us over creation. He gave us work. And yes, work is hard and there's thorns and there's pain in childbearing. But, but God's given it to us. This is the, the idea of taking care of your estate. Whatever it is. Maybe it's just a, you're a single guy and you got an, a, a dorm or an apartment. That's your estate. You, you got some stuff you got to take care of. Or maybe, maybe it's a family and a wife and kids. Maybe there's grandkids. Maybe whatever the size of your estate is, it's going to fall apart if you don't take care of it. Another one of my favorite uh, Ecclesiastes verses, verses is, is 10.18. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Is that your house? <laughs> right? We have to take care of the things that God has given us. And if you can't do it on your own, ask for help. Right? Maybe we've got to work on each other's houses and our roofs. It's okay. We take care of our stewardship. We, we know our budget. We cultivate generosity. We plan for retirement. And then finally, our relationship to others. How is your relationship with your kids, with your parents, with your spouse, with your church? Right? We have to renew those relationships. We need to date our spouses. We need to have quality time with our kids. We need to pursue reconciliation and peacemaking to those that are estranged. And we need accountability. We need people that really ask us, how are you doing? And we really expect an honest answer. We need renewal in our relationships. So in review, right, these principles from Ecclesiastes, we need to begin with the end in mind. We need to be led and anchored by God's word. We need to learn to invest for the future. And we need to seek Sabbath and renewal. And some of us are in totally intimidated by this, right? And maybe planning and looking ahead is just something you've never done well. You've never kept a budget. You have a hard time keeping commitments. And self-discipline is like going to the dentist. I don't know. Maybe that's, that's you. And maybe this whole conversation brings up feelings of shame and, and inadequacy. inadequacy. Maybe you're already in retirement age, right? And you feel like, You've lost your chance. I don't know. Maybe some of us are there. On the other side, right, maybe you're the, you're the guy that loves having all his ducks in a row. And people look at you and they're just like, man, that guy's got his act together. Or that gal, boy, look at all the stuff she gets done. Right? And you're here this morning. And this is right up your alley. Right? You're all ready. you got your planner all set. You're, you're just here to go. You're like, this is great. This church understands successful living. Yeah, that's what we want, right? You got it all figured out. You're self-disciplined. You know all the personal leadership books. You know the best practices, right? Wherever you're at this morning, on, in that pendulum, I want to direct our attention away from Solomon to Jesus. Solomon tells us what life is like under the, the sun, and he says it's all vanity, it's all striving after the wind. And he reminds us that there will be a day where we will meet our maker. But he only saw that day dimly, right? He looks out. He looked out. He's like, I think I see it. Here's what it's like. 
He only saw it dimly. Through Christ, we see it clearly. So I want to end on these words from Hebrews chapter 12. So chapter 11, the author of Hebrews takes us through what we call the hall of faith. All these people who live their life suffering and waiting and looking to the reward. They live that life of intentionality for eternity. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, now let's look at Jesus. It says this in 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and protector or perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Right? That, that, that's that future investment. He lived for joy set before him. He despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All of us will fail this year at living intentionally, right? Either we're going to fail to fulfill our plans and hopes of self-discipline and, 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 and just getting it done perfectly, or we'll succeed and, and we'll get kind of the details done and we'll grow proud and self-sufficient, thinking that we're better than others and that we don't need God. That's, that's how our hearts work. And both of those before God are failures. Both of those, right? Whether we, we fall into sin, we fall into pride and arrogance. Right? We need to look to Christ. He alone is our hope. He lived intentionally for the joy set before him, for the prize of purchasing for himself a people. In John's gospel, it talks about a seed that falls alone and is planted into the ground. And Jesus is that seed that, that was planted alone in the ground, that he died and was buried. And he says that this seed, when it's planted it will not remain alone. It will bear fruit. And Jesus rose again from the grave and he brings us and invites us into his life and it feeds the nations. And so the invitation this morning is to come to Jesus, the true and lasting and better Solomon, the one who is, truly brings peace and wisdom, to learn wisdom from him and to receive his love by faith to look to him as the source of our life and to know that our hope on that final day is not, right, that, that our failures at all, planning and discipline, right, none of those failures will keep us out of God's kingdom and none of your successes of perfectly getting it done right will get you in, but only the perfect righteousness of Jesus that he has fulfilled that law for us on our behalf. And that is our hope, and that's what he offers to us this morning, to receive by faith, and then he gives us his spirit, and that's how we'll have the power to live intentionally this year and the rest of our lives thinking not, not just for today, not just consuming for today, but investing in eternity, but with our feet firmly planted on the ground here today. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we, uh, we need your help. And we thank you uh, that, that our, our failures at living wisely will never keep us out of the kingdom, that our successes will never get us in. That's too much pressure to live under or too much shame to bear. But you alone fulfilled uh, wisdom for us and you, you prepare that path for us to live. Make us a people that, that lay our lives down and plant seeds for eternity and that, that, uh, that bear fruit, that plant more seeds, that feed the nations, and that uh, your gospel work would go out from Central Bible Church for generations to come, uh, not for our name, not for, uh, for our, uh, our fame, but for your glory and, and for the good and blessing of all peoples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.